Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. I really jumped into that with very little warning. Sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, this week we are going to spoil the shit out of a 20-year-old movie. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you haven't seen it literally, mm-hmm. stop this now because I'm going to spoil the twist immediately because right. I want to talk about this movie in the face of its twist. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. Go check it out. You should. It's very it's a good. Very good movie. Come back when you're done. Uh, before we get started, and before we spoil the shit out of this thing, uh, how was your week? Which was the last day um, we recorded. Yesterday, yesterday. was actually uh, was me recovering from a head cold or mm. exhaustion or something, mm. and today is much better. So, yes, I'm fine. How was your day week? I think I was dehydrated today, and it really is taking a toll on my body. I'm going to do my best to keep my shit together, but I have been on the verge of tears all day because hormones or the world or it's cold. I don't know. I have no idea why. I don't know why, but I'm in a state. Uh, Okay. We're just getting through it. We're just getting through it. So today, uh, pretty good, actually, because... Uh, we watched this movie fairly recently, and I do like this movie very much. The Sixth Sense, everybody. The Sixth Sense, the movie that has hung like a torment around M. Night Shyamalan's neck since 1999. A movie that I don't think... I don't think something like what The Sixth Sense has done... or did in 1999 will ever be duplicated Mm. because everybody expects some shit now. Certainly not by Shyamalan. Shyamalan was then locked into, you've got to have a twist in your movies, even though sometimes he does not want to have twists in his movies. He just wants to tell the story of a lady in some water. (laughs) And while that movie is not great... (laughs) I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, actually, I don't understand why people say it's not great. I enjoyed it, and it's not—it's not typical Hollywood filmmaking, which I also enjoyed. Sure. Yes. Well. Yeah. No. Uh, that's true. Uh, and my—that's I think my favorite Shyamalan character because Shyamalan uh, does usually play a character in his films that he does in this one. He's a uh, doctor in this one because I guess it was a shout out to his Indian parents. <laughs> Well, yes, he he's, <laughs> he um, he uh, did an interesting interview with I think it was Matt Lauer on the Today Show on the release of Lady in the Water, and he was asked the question, "Why do you put yourself into films?" And he answered very candidly, "Because if not, it's just a bunch of white folks." Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to insist as an Indian director, I can be in this film I can too, be in this playing film too. Yeah. anything. And his movies definitely, he's never gotten. Mm-hmm. Blank check their first ep season uh-huh. where they well, no their second season excuse me where they talked the first year was a Star Wars podcast it it's confusing and I don't listen to it uh, but <laughs> their second season uh, or the first full season was the Wachowskis uh-huh. and the second season was M Night Shyamalan and they were f- the first two that they were floated but Shyamalan's never really. No, that's a lie. Shyamalan got a blank check with Avatar and uh, really blew it. Avatar? The Last Airbender. Oh, yes, okay. It wasn't called Avatar. It was called The Last Airbender. Based on the 
anime Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, but typically, Shyamalan gets very small budgets and uh, a lot of caveats and rules um, involved in his uh, films, I think. They're like, you can have $3 million and you have to shoot it in this uh, parking lot in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, keep talking about this big building that we're definitely setting up the finale of this movie to be in, and then we're never going to get there. I'm talking about Split. I'm talking about... Is it Split? No, I'm talking about Mr. Glass. The last of the Unbreakable series, mm-hmm. where it was building up to have this like, they kept talking about this building, this uh, construction site that was going to be, like, definitely the site of the end of the film, and then they fought in a parking lot instead, and I was like, ooh, budgetary concerns? Maybe. All right. But this is early in Shyamalan's career. It's his first big-budget film. Right. It's his first film with anybody you've ever heard of in it. Um, you named four people in this movie, but really this is a three-hander. It really is. Olivia Williams is in the movie, sure. But this movie is Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette. Well, really, at the time, it was one actor. It really, it, the recognizable actor Well, it was is, sold on Willis. Is Willis. Yeah. And the others weren't very well-known. Well, Haley Joel Osment was a right. child, so, um, and we're going to start with the the starting. Well, no, we'll start with the opening because that's that's fair. Mm-hmm. We open with Bruce Willis as Malcolm Crow with his wife Anna, played by Olivia Williams. Uh, he's been honored by the mayor for being an awesome child psychiatrist, and uh, they're going to go upstairs and get some. But the window is broken upstairs, and they find that there is a stripped-down child. He's not a child. He's a young man who finally is uh, recognized by Willis as a tr- as a former patient. P- former patient yeah. Vincent Gray, played stunningly and almost unbelievably by Donnie Wahlberg, um, former. New kid on the block. He was the bad boy. Uh, if the, one of them was wearing a leather jacket, it was Donnie, uh, brother of Mark Wahlberg. Uh, this, I believe, is his first acting. Okay. And he was unrecognized. Like I didn't know right. that that was him. And I was an NKOTB fan when I. That was my boy band. That's my age. The boy bands of the late eighties was. New Kids on the Block. It, I'm pre like by the time NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were a thing, I was like, whatever. I don't care about that kind of music anymore. Um, but I didn't recognize him. Uh, and he talks about how he wasn't able to help him. He being uh, Doctor Crow, Malcolm, uh, Bruce Willis. He was a failure. He failed him, and he's been waiting ten years for help, and he's not leaving without it. And then he does gut shoot Bruce Willis and turn the gun on himself. And uh, then we get a one year later. And here's this twist. 
uh, this movie is a Jacob's Ladder scenario. It's not. <laughs> it's not a Jacob's Ladder scenario. But Bruce Willis is dead. Bruce Willis is dead people. Later, and I mean much later, because the, the, the famous scene with the pink blanket and Haley Joel Osment saying, I see dead people, is like an hour and ten minutes into this hour and 47 minute film. Mm-hmm. Even though we kind of know that he sees dead people, he doesn't say that for two-thirds of this movie, which is a... The the pacing of this movie is so fascinating once you know the twist, which he doesn't show the audience or he doesn't give the audience full in to the twist until about... The movie's an hour 47, an hour 44. I think an hour and 44 minutes is when we find out Bruce Willis is dead. We find out and has been dead the whole time. Dead in the next to last um, set of scenes. Yeah, Uh, I think that it's really the last scene. Well, the last scene, and then there's the scene with um, Haley Joel Osment explaining this to his mother, his abilities. Well, we see that scene before Mm -hmm. we see the scene with Willis realizing his own Mm -hmm. thing. Um. Because I think, yeah, because the way that it works is when we get there, um, Cole, Cole Sears, Seer, get it, Seer, um, is Haley Jolismet a child with issues. And those issues are he sees dead people all the time, and they don't know they're dead, and they can hurt him physically. We're going to go through a bunch of stuff. And mm-hmm. then Cole is going to say, we're not going to... Cole tells Malcolm we're not going to see each other anymore. But let's pretend like we are. And then Cole... And then and then Malcolm says, you got to talk to somebody who's closer to you than me. And so then the next thing we see is Cole telling his mom. And then the last thing we see is Malcolm realizing mm-hmm. his, his uh, state. So, yes, he's a Philadelphia because we're... Uh, an M. Night Shyamalan movie, and M. Night Shyamalan is from Pennsylvania. A lot of his films take place in Philadelphia, or in and around Philadelphia. Even the village, you guys. Shh, it's a secret. Um, and he's a child psychologist, and we see him start interacting with Cole. First, he's outside of Cole's house, and Cole, like, runs away from him, and he runs after him. So the the interactions between Malcolm and Cole are all a little bit odd. Uh, because you're just like, what? Why isn't anybody stopping this full-grown man from chasing this child down the street? Um, because they don't see him is the reason. But it is a little bit odd. We do... Realize, like we've seen this movie before, so we knew the twist. So, so a lot of it is watching, and Shyamalan is playing one hundred percent fair. You could pick up the twist at any point because mm-hmm. nobody looks at Malcolm except Cole in this entire movie. Not after the first scene, after the first scene with him and his wife, any scenes that we have with Malcolm. No one sees him or interacts with him other than Cole. Now, I said the one thing that doesn't fully hang together for me is 
it is clear that Tony Collette, uh, Cole's mother, whose name is Lynn, is she cares for her son. She knows something is wrong with her son. She and she wants to help him. And I believe that she would get him a psychiatrist, which also no, I was going to say also Cole believes, but Cole knows that he's looking at a ghost. So <sighs> I that's my one thing where I'm like, Lynn, where's the act? Where's the living psychiatrist that you sh- or psychologist that you should absolutely get for your child? Um. So. Uh, Malcolm is we find later or sort of through the course of this has been drawn to Cole because he couldn't help Vincent. And Cole is very much like Vincent. Mm-hmm. We don't know how alike until later. Um, so we see Cole. He's, he's ostracized. He, um, he knows things that he shouldn't know. He's fiercely defensive of himself like he won't let himself be laughed at or mocked um and and is mean about it like he uh he targets a teacher and yells stuttering stanley stuttering stanley at him which is a little rough i'm like uh excuse me that's not okay for you to be doing now the teacher was basically calling him a liar now although honestly for a teacher, I understand he's an elementary school teacher, so there's right. teaching to the age. But he asks the classroom, what do you think this building used to be? Right? They're in a public school. It's a, or maybe it's a private school. No, I think it is a public school. They have to wear uniforms, so it's confusing for me. As a poor kid, I'm like, that's what rich kids do. But sometimes poor kids do, too. Um, what did the school used to be before it was a school? And Cole raises his hand and he says, they used to hang people here. And the teacher is like, no, it was a courthouse. They made laws. And I'm like, you're a teacher. Even if you're an elementary school teacher, you should have taken some American history. If I hear a building was a courthouse, I know. A a courthouse over 100 years ago. I know that that's where the executions took place because that's where executions took place in our country was in the courthouse. Laws are made at the Capitol building where legislators are. They're not made in courthouses. Laws are carried out in courthouses. (laughs) And so just for me to be like this, like for him to fight, he might, he, what he should have said was, um, I can't confirm that. I'm, I'm not sure if that's true, and it's not really appropriate for us to talk about here in the classroom. But what he says is, no, you're wrong, and who told you that? They're just trying to scare you. Now we see later, almost the, in the very last scene, um, or, you know, later after he is confided to Malcolm, um, we see that he sees bodies hanging, which is a little confusing to me because I'm just like, how do these ghosts work? Like, I, I, what I don't know about in this movie is how the ghosts work because they, they're not confined to location. Um, they're not, like, they're typically walking around 
but then these ones are hanging. That seems very inconvenient as a ghost. Like you, how how if if the idea is to let a ghost go, which we we sense is unfinished business, right? Just the same as it's mm-hmm. the it's the same ghost folklore as we always have. Um, how is somebody who's hanging from the rafters going to solve their unfinished business? Like. If a ghost was made, I feel like a ghost should have an option to be unmade or, like, move on. Um, So there's a scene at a birthday party where Cole is pushed into what looks like a a dumbwaiter almost. It's this little room, although it doesn't move, um, where he was hearing a voice come from and then um, to friends to other little monsters because children are terrible force him to go into the cupboard and they lock it and then he like sounds like he's having a seizure and then he kind of goes limp and his mom has to like pull him out and they take him to the hospital and he's got wounds on him so these things these entities can hurt him physically hurt him they're not just air (laughs) that can't interact with him and that is that that scene is several scenes in it's it's an hour into the film and after that is Malcolm shows up at the hospital this is where we also see uh, Shyamalan who thinks that there may be some abuse because there's marks on his body elsewhere which Tony Collette thinks is from sports poor lady and um, and I'm sure that's what Cole has I'm told sure that's her. What he tells her, yes. Um, but this kid is not playing sports. Uh, and um, we know that there are ghosts in the apartment at different periods because right at the beginning we've got a very it's a throwback to uh, Poltergeist mm-hmm. where. Tony Collette's doing laundry. She goes to change out his little um, clip-on tie. The little clip-on ties, the tiny, um, the tiny Haley Joel Osment is wearing in these are so precious and adorable. <laughs> um, she takes his tie off and goes to change it out in the laundry room and comes back, and every drawer and cupboard is open, and there's no way. He could have opened all of them. But she just goes, you know, are you looking for something? And he's just like, Pop-Tarts? Because <laughs> he's not going right, to tell her. He doesn't her. want to tell her what's going on. Uh, and he, he already knows that she's scared, and he doesn't want to make her more scared. But he also, he's he's very much, he hasn't gotten to the age where he's just going to lie to protect her. Right? Right. Um, because there's also a scene where she they're eating dinner uh, and she asks him about the bumblebee brooch or or pin, some, some sort of bumblebee thing, like piece of jewelry that was her mother's that keeps <laughs> migrating from a place in her room to a place in his room. And she's like, so did you move it? And he's like, you can see on his little face. And he's like seven, eight. He's so young. He's like, if I just tell her yes 
and apologize. She'll be fine, and we can just move on. But that would be a lie, and I would be lying to her. She told me she doesn't want me to lie to her. And he's got this torch. He's like, there's nothing I can say here that isn't going to hurt her. And he's just, but he doesn't. He sticks to his guns, and he's like, I didn't move it. Mm. And she's like, you gotta go. You've had enough roast beef. Get away from the, or go to your room. Um, And then he is frightened by uh, the ghost of a child who says, come on, I'll show you where my dad keeps his gun. Turns around and has no back of his head. And And he comes back in while she's doing laundry and is upset. And, you know, he says, you know, if you're not very mad, can I sleep with you? Because that kid's in his room and he doesn't want to go in his room. And she says what she says, which is, look at my face. I'm not very mad. And and they're okay. And she, that's her, that's her little, she says it a lot. Look at my face. Uh, I'm not mad. Look at my face. I love you. Look at my, like, that's her, like, uh, sort of constant vocal tick. Which I really liked because I was like, "Ooh, I wonder who in M. Night Shyamalan's life, because he wrote this movie, says that. What woman uses look at my face as like her sort of default phrase? Because I know somebody in his life does. So after this incident at the birthday party, and Malcolm has seen Cole a handful of times, he's gained a little bit of trust. He plays a little game of step towards me if I get something right, step away from Mm. me if I get something wrong. That's their second meeting, which is in Cole and uh, Lynn's living room. And he gets a little cocky (laughs) and does end up sort of blowing it. Uh, But Cole is trusting him a little bit more and a little bit more. And then after his hospital visit, or in the hospital, uh, when he says that he'll stay until Cole falls asleep, he's like, okay, I'm ready to tell you my secret. He says, I see dead people. And uh, Malcolm asks, when you close your eyes or when right, you're in your dreams? These are dreams, right? And he's like, nope. All the time, they don't know they're dead. They can't see each other. They only see what they want to. Those are the three chunks of information that we know about ghosts. Um, Meanwhile, we do see Malcolm. So we know, upon second watching, that this character, this Bruce Willis character, is dead. He is a ghost. Throughout the story, on the first viewing of the film. Yep. You're not aware he's a ghost until this reveal. So there are scenes of him trying to reconcile with his wife. Yeah, he keeps coming home. He has an alternate storyline where his wife and he have grown distant. Yes, she's grown distant. Uh She's falling asleep um, before he gets home. We also, and this was a question I had in in, in the watching last night. I think we are to understand that the scenes that we see Malcolm in are the only scenes he exists in. He's not... We're seeing the whole of right. his existence. We're not seeing him... We're not... Okay, yes, which is true, I believe. Yeah. Is that he's not... Um, 
doing things other than the two things he's most focused on. He's but focused even, on. He, he's not even doing a lot of that. Like mm-hmm. he just he comes home late and she's falling asleep. He comes home late and he can't get into the uh, his office. Right. Um, he arrives late at their anniversary dinner. Right. Um, and she's mad because she's finished her meal. And she's at this point. She is. She runs an antique shop. She runs an antique shop, and her coworker is coming by to check on her. Right. And then she gives her coworker a gift, and they almost kiss. And then the front window of the shop is broken. So when you're watching this the first time, uh-huh. you have the assurance that. They've gotten, or what you're assured of, or what's being reinforced is the notion that they've gotten distant from each other. Right. And that uh, that she is pulling away and she's finding solace in somebody else. In somebody else. And but she doesn't is, look like she's finding solace. That's the other no, thing. No, she also looks like she's very broken up about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And we, he, he comes home and sees her in the shower at one point and sees a bottle of Zoloft, which is an antidepressant. He does um, research in the basement because he can't. He keeps not being able to get into his office. Right. Like, and three different times he reaches for this red glass handled door doorknob, door yeah. which is a wild. Um, and then it's locked, and he can't. He he pats his pockets, and then we break to the next scene. Where I just presume he is then disapparated, or like he just right. goes away. Um, until he's with Cole again. And um, I don't know. It's unclear to me. So Malcolm starts talking to Cole about these ghosts. And he's like, well, what do you think they want from you? Now, we should point out that in he doesn't believe him right away. No. Um... He doesn't appear to, and it's when he's doing research. That's right. He doesn't appear to, but he's uh, he's he's remembering uh, sort of similarities between Cole and Vincent Gray, right. the, the child from the beginning of the movie, and he is listening to back to um, Vincent talking about why he is afraid. Yes, he's got some he's audio, alone. right? So he's got audio, and he's listening back. And then he rewinds back further um, when he is called out of the room, which is a while in the middle of this assessment with this child. He gets a phone call and he leaves the room. And he turns up because he starts hearing, and he knows when he comes back to the room, Vincent's upset. Mm -hmm. So he turns it all the way up and he can hear in Spanish somebody saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But it's very faint. He has to turn it all the way up. Right. And at the, and and then um, he kind of understands that Vincent had the same affliction, whatever it is, or gift, depending on your point of view. As a child, right, it's an affliction. It was an affliction. Um, so then, yeah, he's like, so, um, what do you think they want from you? Because this. I like he's like, do you know what this means? And he says, I don't want to die, right? So right. Th- this was a pleading that was happening here, and Cole's like, um, maybe they want my help. He's like, even the scary ones may only 
want your help because you can see them and nobody else can. At which point, um, Cole finds Misha Barton, a very young Misha Barton, right. pre-OC Misha Barton, yeah. vomiting in his He makes a tent, house. which is like a little fortress. And yeah. When we see Cole the first time, or rather the first time that um, Bruce Willis's character tracks him down, mm. he's in a church. Mm-hmm. And on his way out, he snatches he a... He snatches Christ. He right. snatches a Jesus. <laughs> and he snatches all sorts of, sort of protective totems yes, to take care of him. all of these saints, um, Mary's in mm-hmm. there. He's got, yeah. And he's just got them all around. He has them inside of a, a tent, a red tent that he has inside of his room. It's yeah. held together with safety pins. And this is his fortress. And he doesn't like getting up, even going to the bathroom at night. No, there's a scene where he gets up yeah. and... Um, and I think that is the scene where we see Misha Barton for the first time. Or, no, 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 that's... Mm, I think that's the woman who's asking... There's the another woman, wife. yeah, who the abused right. housewife who has slashed her wrists. That is another... There are three ghosts in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Well, four, if you count the, the aunt, the grandma that nobody's... You don't see. You don't see her. Yes, right. that's true. Yes, but she's not malevolent towards him. Or she, mm. he doesn't... He's not afraid of her. Right. Uh, we get the sense that he's not afraid of her. Um, and so he, like, braves up and asks her, is there anything and you her want to apparition tell me? is particularly horrifying because she's just vomiting. She's vomiting, yeah. Uh, and then she says, I feel, I think I feel a lot better. And he says, do you want to tell me anything? And then we see him and Malcolm on a bus cross town. He's, it's, this is just him by himself. Yeah. He was a seven-year-old alone on a bus. But remember, his mom works two jobs. 1999. So. Well, it's also a time when right. that would be allowed. Now, I don't know that, yeah, we've really tightened down on what kids can do. Now, granted, there are more people snatching kids these days, but... Um, so he goes, he's go, and he's heading towards her funeral. And he goes up to her room, and she appears there. So these ghosts can travel to him. Mm-hmm. They, they're they not... Well, and she, he makes the comment that she came a long she way. She came a long way to see me, yeah. And she calls out from under her bed and gives him a box and says, presumably says, give this mm-hmm. to my dad. She doesn't... Say, we don't see him say that, but right. then we see him carrying this big box through the house to who he presumes is the dad, which he's right. And he says, excuse me, sir, uh, or mister, excuse yeah, like, me, are mister, you his, her dad. are you her dad? She wanted me to give you this. And it's a videotape, which they put in at the funeral, which is fucking epic and then cole just cole and malcolm are just like we're leaving um they actually go outside to the swing set outside uh cole's little sister little sister and then the backstory heard right oh i hear the little ones getting sick now too um and then on the video we see uh misha barton had a like a puppet show theater and then she's recording it and then she moves it out of the way and then we see her mom come in and 
the food tray down sort of right in front of what the the camera mm. that's still filming and we see her poisoning her food and then gaslighting her too saying don't tell me it tastes funny you know i don't like to that hurts my feelings to hear that so she offsets like right off the bat that mm. is that is gaslighting everybody <laughs> um and so right off the bat yeah she says uh, you know, you know, or she's mixed it into I think both the liquid, mm, both the soup the and the milk, um, and so there's this proof that the woman, the has mom, been was, has been poisoning her, and now is of course poisoning the little one, mm. and so he goes in and confronts her. That's a weird scene. They hold on the mom's face for a long time, and it does this sort of contortion thing that I don't quite fully think works but anyhow so then we presume that misha martin's ghost uh poofs into the next world or she's like that's the impression that you get because the very end when when and we've already talked about how um malcolm yeah becomes aware of the that he's a ghost. He he's able to speak to his wife finally and say, "I can go now." Yeah. So yeah. they're they're stuck here by the fact that they have There's unfinished, unfinished business. business, right? So that her unfinished business was, "I got to protect my do- my sister because right. she's going to get killed." And then Cole hands her this little like um, jester doll, uh-huh. and she says, uh, or he says, you know, she said you really like this one, and he gives it to her, and then they leave, um, and then now Cole is much more well adjusted like mm-hmm. he's not well he's come to terms scared to, with what he is and the fact that he's he can he can to an extent control the things around him yes yes and he has found that if he asks the simple question of right. is there something you want to tell me it makes them less dangerous right yeah. And there's some things he's obviously, as a seven-year-old, not going to be able to right. do. But he's also a very mature seven-year-old. When he's sitting on Mom, the swing yes. set talking to Kyra's yeah. sister, he's just very consolatory towards her. Yeah. Um, and that works out very well, too. Yeah. And he starts fitting in better at school. He's cast as a lead in the school play by the guy he called Stuttering Stanley, which is wild. But their relationship <laughs> dynamic seems to be different here, too. Yeah. As if they've come to the sense of, you know, especially um, Mr. Cunningham seems yeah. to be aware of the fact that he made a mistake and he offered him the, the lead role in this yes, play. Yes, he, he, he is the lead role in the weirdest play I've ever seen. But we start with seeing him in the backstage area talking to somebody Uh who gets up and walks away. And then Mr. Cunningham, Stanley Cunningham, comes back and says, who are you teaching or talking to? And Cole just says, oh, I was just practicing my lines. Like, he doesn't get... he He's now like, I understand what a lie that protects people is. And we see the woman walk away and turn back and her face is burned, half of her face is burned and her hair is burned away on, on half of her head. And as they're walking onto the stage, Cunningham says, you know, this whole uh, part of the school burned when I was a kid. Right. And they had to rebuild it. Like, it took a bunch of time to rebuild. And he's like, I know. <laughs> it's because he's just talking to somebody who died in that fire, or at least right. because of that fire, probably. Um, and he goes on stage. He doesn't have any lines. So I don't know what lines he was 
practicing. Well, we're also, I feel like we're seeing the end of the play. Maybe, but he'd been just, I don't know. The way that it's cut is very mm-hmm. strange, and it looks like the end of the King Arthur legend where right. Haley Joel Osment comes out and pulls the, the sword out of the stone. Um, but he doesn't say anything, and this appears to be the end of a play but we've just seen him pulled out from backstage. It's very odd. It's I'm just like, is this play three minutes long? Like, what's happening? Um, which, you know what, for elementary school plays, that's what, yeah. they don't need to be long. They don't need to be. No. Uh, but it means that he's doing better generally. They have a conversation where Cole says, um, he's asking Malcolm how Malcolm's doing, and Malcolm is uh, bad at keeping his... Um, work and home life separate because he straight up is telling Anna about Cole. Now, Anna, of course, can't right. hear him, so he's not breaking HIPAA law. Also, I think in 1999, HIPAA law didn't exist. But I was like, I don't know that in a restaurant full of people, you need to be referencing your patients by their actual names out loud to your wife. That seems inappropriate. Um, but Cole says, maybe you should try talking to her while she's asleep. Maybe she'll hear you better, which is a cool tip. Now I think that ghosts are whispering to me as I sleep every night. Very nice. Thanks for that, Cole. Uh, And um, at at that point, too, he's like, you know, we're not going to see each other anymore. Like, he's, he's doing so much better. Right. Malcolm is like, yes, you're healed. You don't need me anymore. Yeah, it's about you well, needing. It, it's about him needing he's you. He's turning you over him. the relationship yeah. to talk to somebody that's closer to. He you, says yes. He says talk to. You need right. to tell. You need to tell your mom. She's with you all the time. She's going to be able to help and you she, navigate this. The mom this. is also not going to be skeptical about this. This will fit in with every strange it, thing that it she's saying. Yes, but it's going to be hard for her to hear. Right. Which is why I think it's the way that he does it is so good. So that's the next um, scene. We see they're backed up in traffic because uh-huh. um, there's been some sort of accident well ahead of them. He, she can't see what she And she's like, oh, I hope uh, nobody got hurt. And Cole's like, okay, now's my chance. Here we go. He's like, uh, you know the accident in front of us? And she says, yeah. And he goes, somebody died. A lady. And uh, Lynn goes, can you see her? Like, she's looking around outside. And he's like, yeah. She's outside my window. And Lynn looks and she can't see anyone. And she's like, don't. Like, don't scare me like that. That's that's me. Like, it's cruel to say something like that. And she's like, um, Grandma visits me. <laughs> right. And she she's sorry about the bumblebee pin, but she really loves it. And he's like, she's like, what? And she's like, stop. Like, stop. like right. she thinks he's being cruel, which is interesting to me because of all the things that this child is, cruel is not one of them. He says, she comes to visit me, and he says, she's not alive anymore. And he says, I know. She wants me to tell you that she saw you dance. She's like, what? said, you had a fight with her. She told me you had a fight with her before a recital, and you thought she did not come to see you dance? And she says that she did. She hid in the back so you wouldn't see, which... 
some manipulative mom bullshit, but that's fine. Uh, and uh, you dance like an angel. You look like an angel, she says. And he said, you came and asked her a question where she's buried, and she says that the answer is every day. What did you ask her? And at that point, Lynn is like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And of course, what she asked her is, do I make you proud? Um, and then they hug, and he's got his mom on his side because Lynn is awesome. This right. woman will fight to the death She's, for her child. I like the fact that there's, and I don't know that it's not a private school that he's going to. I don't know. I can't because tell. it's it's obvious that she is going through steps to protect him all the time, and we know and that she works two jobs, two jobs, right, to try to provide because she thinks that he's mad at her and on this drive that he she wasn't at the right. play, and she wanted to be at the play, but she works two jobs. She so also the the other thing is that there's a a very brief moment, and this is something that M Night Shyamalan is very good at, among other things. He's, I. I think he's a r- immensely talented director. Yes. And given more opportunities, he'll get even better with time. <coughs> Provided he wants to continue learning and doesn't think he knows everything already. No, I, I don't think so. Having judged <laughs> from his more recent work, too, it's yeah. it's very experimental and weird. Old is a very strange movie. Um, but it it's it, <laughs> it's very interesting. It's compelling. So when I'm looking at um, the scene that he has when he's going to this birthday party. Yes. She mentions uh, to the mom of the kids, you know, he was invited to this birthday party. And she's dressed up for it. And uh, he says, well, the last time that he was invited to a birthday party, he just hid inside of a Chuck E. Cheese. It was Chuck E. Cheese and he just hid inside that, yeah. And And they were like a Chuck E. what? Right. And there's a a real marked class difference there. And I thought, oh, okay, then... She is going through so much trouble to try to put him in a situation where she doesn't even feel comfortable. No. And she's going to do this because this is what she does for her kid. Yeah. And we don't know the story with the dad. We Mm -hmm. presume that kid's weird on bouncing. Right. That's my presumption. Yeah. Is... Because if not, <laughs> if he had been... If he'd passed on for some reason, we would have heard about that. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There right. would be some resolution about. Well, you know, I talked to Dad. Something about but, that, yeah. Um, but because then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, I mean, and Tony Collette is an amazing actress too. There's, she's fantastic. She's everyone is amazing in this film. Yes, absolutely. Um, so then, the last scene, Malcolm goes home. And Anna's watching their wedding video. And we've seen this wedding video. She's been watching it repeatedly through this movie, which should have offered him some insight. If your wife is watching wedding videos and then turning down men until she does it, because I think she does like this man, um, something is weird is going on. (laughs) Something odd is going on. And, uh, and then he says, you know, he says something to her and she says, why did you leave me? And he's like, I didn't leave you. I'm right here. And then she drops. She's asleep. So her hand relaxes. Her hand relaxes and she, she drops his wedding ring. Right. And he looks at his hands. And then we get the little. Right. And then he realizes. 
that when he was shot that night, he, he did not survive. Um, he then can see there's furniture in front of the door to his office. Like, there's a console with photos that we didn't see before because all we saw was the, the, not the handle. Right. And that he couldn't open it. But we zoom back a little bit and there's a console in front of it because she has just closed off that part of the house. Um, the easiest way to do it, too. I love that solution. And then he realizes that he got, you know, little shot in the front, big blood stain in the back. And he understands, oh, I, yeah, I didn't survive. And he comes to terms with it super quick. Like, he was there, right? right. Like, he was, and working with Cole helped. Um, so, he, yes, Anna was a little bit of his um, unfinished business, but realistically, Cole was his unfinished business, right? Yeah. Like, he needed Cole to be able isn't going to gonna turn into Vincent. Some sort of issue that he had with Vincent. Right. And um, and nobody else is going to die. Right. Like, like Cole isn't going to turn violent because he has someone in his corner and a, a basic understanding of what's right. happening to him. And I said, um, now Tony Collette's going to become the Long Island medium to take the heat off of her yeah. child. She's just going to be like, tell me what to say. <laughs> um, and then he, yes, he... Uh, his spirit departs in a flash of light, poof. And then that's it. That's the end of the movie. Uh, and like I said, it is it is an hour and ten plus minutes before we hear the phrase, I see dead people, and an hour and 44 minutes of an hour and 47 minutes movie before we really know, or before the, the, the Bruce Willis is dead, has been dead the whole time, um, twist. That's the twist, you guys. This movie ruined other movies for me because mm. now some other movies, including a movie called The Others, try to do this shit, and I'm like, y'all are dead. <laughs> like, I I wish I could have walked out of The Others. I did not care for that film, but I, I knew what was happening like three minutes in. Mm. And then the twist in that movie is given up you know, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling another movie from the early aughts, but um, the twist in that movie is given up about halfway through. It's not mm-hmm. a full movie before you get to a reveal. Uh, but now I'm literally like, at the beginning of every movie where there's ghosts, I'm like, who are the ghosts, though? Which ones are the ghosts? I don't want to be like this, but this is how I am. I I think this might be the last movie where I was genuinely surprised and the twist got me when the twist was revealed instead of like, usually I'm about two minutes before, <laughs> like two to two to five minutes before a twist is revealed. I'm like, Ooh, I think I know a thing. Then I got to be real quiet. Cause if I'm high, I will blurt out. And then I don't, I think I'm being cute and like, Oh, what if this is happening? But then sometimes that's a spoiler, and then I feel bad when I was right, (laughs) even if I didn't even know. It was just a guess. I did that the other day. With what? I don't remember. But I was just like, what if da-da-da-da-da, and then (laughs) da-da-da-da-da happened, and I was like, 
why am I not getting paid to write these movies? <laughs> uh, so, on first watch, this movie is absolutely 100% thrilling. Like, mm-hmm. I would I would say its place on this list makes a lot of sense. On second watch, I don't know if that's still the same word that I would use to describe it. What do you think? I enjoy it. I like ghost stories, obviously. And so I watched the movie more than once, and I really appreciate it this time for the craft and the care that's being taken in this film. He does. I love that he plays fair, right? The fact that we only ever see after the initial shooting uh, Malcolm wearing the same clothes he wore that night. Is that true? Yeah. And so, you remember, he was wearing layers of clothes. He and was. So he he takes was wearing them off, a lot of layers. And then he's wearing a variation on those layers in every single scene you see him in. That. Um, and he plays immensely fair with you as a, as a filmmaker. So I appreciate that. And I really think that even if the thrill of what's going on in the mystery of the film is gone, the performances are just amazing. Um. And that's kind of, you know, exciting to watch. Is just watching yeah. Tony Collette Tony and Collette, Olivia Williams. Tony Collette is phenomenal. And, right. Um, it turns out, mm-hmm. I think the problem that Kevin Smith had with Bruce Willis is that Bruce Willis is a fucking nerd. <laughs> right. Like he's a he's a film nerd. Like, and I mean, like, what lenses are you fixing to use? And Kevin Smith hires somebody. He doesn't mm-hmm. know that. M. Night Shyamalan knows that shit, which is why he gets right. along with M. Night Shyamalan. Ryan Johnson knows that shit. That's why he gets along with him. But I don't... There's a... And maybe we can include that on the the uh, web uh, the uh, Facebook page. There's a very interesting, very tearful Kevin Smith talking about working with Bruce Willis. Yeah. And saying that the the issues that have caused Willis to retire recently yeah. were evident on the set of that film. Wow. But he was getting so frustrated that he just... He didn't have any empathy for him. He didn't have any empathy. And then now it's like he's literally, he, he's in tears saying... He's, he's a very soft boy. Yeah, well, I love Kevin Smith. He's a very soft he boy. He was just genuinely repentant, saying, I, I can't believe that I didn't see it then, because now it's just so obvious, glaringly obvious. Right. But also, Willis's attitude has always... And there are other directors who he butt heads with, and a lot of it is, if you don't have... If you're not an A to Z, Uh I don't really respect what you're doing. But in this case, he... Shyamalan... um, And there's an interesting interview with with Norm MacDonald on the... um, the Norm Macdonald show, which I saw just the other, uh, like, in preparation for this. Yeah. Where he talked about being 23 years old and having written this movie. Oh, yeah. He was young. He was very young, and he had just finished doing some rewrites. He was a script doctor at the time. And the fact that you you have the... the here's the thing. Mm-hmm. The writing of the script is probably the easiest part of making this movie. Right. I, I wonder how much of in the editing process he was. Because there's a full editor. There's an editor for this mm, film. Right. Um, he's not listed as an editor. But to to think at 23 that you could then direct this movie. 
He was attached to the director and the, the producer from Disney who bought it uh, for like $3 million, the property. Not uh, Despite the fact that Shyamalan attached himself to it because he, he said, this was my big move. Yeah. You know, I just made money for Stuart Little as a screenplay yeah. writer. I want to be able to go forward with this. And yeah. this is going to be something. And the he kind directed of he something already? Or did they I make him he do, do the other thing first before? Um, but he wound up jumping at the opportunity and seizing it and not letting it go. It's like, I'm attached to this film. Uh, it's really interesting because typically people don't like working experienced actors do not like working with first-time directors. He wasn't a first-time director. That's what I'm saying. He directed Praying with Anger in 1992 mm -hmm. and Wide Awake in 1998. Two very small indie films, but they are full-length uh -huh. feature films. When the Blake Check Boys did the Shyamalan right. uh, season, they were in the same episode. Like They, they just talked about them very briefly. Um, but this was his first major... But yeah, thing. doing a film like this with an actor like Bruce Willis, and then apparently working so well with him that he brings him back two other times, or yeah. technically three, uh, after yeah. this to work with him, uh, and getting, you know, Tarantino aside, who I don't care for, getting really the best, some of the best performances out of Bruce Willis that he was ever able to do. Yes. Between this and David Dunn in Unbreakable, yeah. he really gave these... Which I think is a better performance. Because he's, well, he's also asked to do so he's much more He's asked to do that more. Film. That is true. Because um, this, this movie is about, is actually about right. the Sears family. Yes. It's about Tony Collette and it's about Haley Joel Osment, which is inspired casting. I love Haley Joel Osment. I think he is. Some of his line readings in this are so phenomenal and he's so small it, like he just goes yeah, there's also, a line reading where he just goes oh i didn't know you were funny and it was it's this dry uh -huh. and you can see tony collette as his mom in that like in that line reading like he's pulling from her character right. as who, the person who raised this child like it's it goes nuanced a lot towards the director too yeah. when you have somebody that young and the relationship that he's able to build with these actors, because they all acted, they were all completely um, natural. Yeah. There wasn't a false note in this movie. And yeah, Haley Joel Osment, um, he was uh, he was nominated, uh, you know, for best supporting actor. That year, and it was a hell of a year, frankly, um, because one of the other nominees is Michael Clark Duncan for The Green Mile. Oh, wow. And the winner was uh, was Michael Caine for Cider House Rules. And... Um, Good night. Right. <laughs> Michael Caine, he's like... An, you have Michael, who I've never heard of before, and he's talking about Michael Clark Duncan, who is astonishing. And then you have Jude, which I'm guessing is Jude Law, and he goes on and gone. And he goes, and Haley Joel Osment, what an astonishing, where is he? There he is, Haley. When I saw you, I thought, well, that's me. I'm out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's just he like... He really 
could absolutely could have won that right uh, uh that nomination like yeah, and he would have been the youngest winner at that right. point uh was he ever supporting he was supporting actor, which yes. is that's tough because honestly he's probably the lead Willis is never giving up. Well, lead, Willis is but... the is the character that we follow throughout the film, and he bookends the movie. He bookends the movie. That so, is true, but know, it's not his story. It's not his. <laughs> it's his redemption story. He has to help this guy. Yeah, I guess this kid. And so we're treated to this kind of and the this this performance where you're watching actors playing off of him. Osment. Yeah. And they're just, they're playing off of him in this completely natural way. They're sharing scenes with him um, in a way that feels completely natural. And he's just sort of like commanding the screen when he's on it. Yeah. No, he is electric, and I'm so glad that he's doing stuff again. Right. Um, He's got a recurring role on The Boys, and he's doing some other stuff. Um, He's got a babier face now than he did when he was a kid. It's, It's, you know... He's bearded now, largely because he'd look like a baby if he wasn't, I think. He was born in 1988. So he was older than this. He was 10 when they were filming this, 10, 11 when he, they were filming this. He's just small. He's still small. He's 5'6". And it could have been Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah would have been good, too. I mean, he was acting at that time, mm-hmm. but... And and he has a similar. You want to protect him, mm. vibe. Like he's small. And soft spoken. Right. The the other person in line for um, Tony Collette's role was Marissa Tomei, who also would have been fantastic. Although I think she would have been better now than then. But I don't. Right. I've never seen my cousin Vinny for which she won the Academy Award. So. I couldn't say for sure that she's gotten... I mean, she she won that award a long time ago, so she's always been a good actress. I think she's great now. Mm. Um, I think the stuff I've seen her in, you know, oh, recently oh, has her been May is amazing. spectacular. Yeah. I remember um, watching her... Uh, here's another spoiler. The, the most recent Spider-Man film that she did, her death scene... <gasps> spoiler alert. Right. <laughs> is amazing as somebody who's been in that much physical pain or a great deal of physical pain and she's dying and she's trying to spit out something for him to hang on to because she realizes that she's not going to be there and the way her voice hitches and her body language as she's trying to work through layers of pain to get this out to him yeah looking at that going god that's really familiar yeah it was a great that was a great scene from a really good performance and that sold it because you really need that's the uh the real motivation for him to become who he is later yeah. on in life. So yes. Um yes, no, agreed. Um so this movie mm-hmm. uh one it's on this list. It's on the AFI years, uh, 100 years, 100 movie quotes for the I See Dead People line, right. number 44. Um, and it is number 89 on the AFI's 100 years, 100 movies, 10th anniversary edition. Yeah. So it is held in high esteem, as even though it's a 
genre film, although I would not, I would argue that it is not really a genre film. Although anything that Shyamalan does now, his first two movies absolutely are not. But now you see his name attached to it and you think it's going to be. This is kind of. Something off the beat. It's not going to be, you know, Michael Clayton. That's not what we're going to watch. There are. (sighs) Boris Karloff makes a distinction between a horror and terror, right? And a horror film or a horror story is about physical revulsion. And a terror film or a terror story is about spiritual anxiety. Right. And I think a ghost story like this fits the category of spiritual anxiety. Sure. You are not sure what's going to happen to this boy. You're not sure that he's going to make it. You're not sure that he's going to be reached. So it keeps you in a very interesting... Well, especially because all of the... Dramatic suspense... And and these are these are ghosts that do damage. Right. He has physical marks all over his body. Yeah. Like the fact that he doesn't piss on himself regularly is pretty spectacular. Um, and that's probably where the fierce, fierce defensiveness comes from. Don't look at me like that. Yeah. Don't look at me like that. You're looking at me like that. That's when he but starts also, like, being triggered. He knows what he knows. Yeah. He's not going to be so to be told that that's not true. He's like, well, I, I had to break it to you, but there are people literally hanging in the hallway. So yeah, like, like, and I'm not going to disbelieve my own eyes to make you feel better. Yeah, which that's his mom too. That's his mom, who's tough. And steadfast. Yeah, I, I, I had a this movie. Unfortunately, there was a reviewer for the local free newspaper, The Express. So upsetting to me, Kelly Vance, um, who spoiled this movie in the opening line of his review, and I will never forget that because it just ruined it for me. Uh, yeah, that's. His, his, uh, well, not even the opening line, the headline, the byline, I guess, was Dead Man Walking. And then the opening line is, well, this is a retelling of the occurrence at Alcute Bridge, which is probably one of the more famous, oh, and he's actually dead stories. Ah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry if I spoiled the occurrence at Alcute Bridge for anybody. That's fine. Yeah, right. That's a. But, uh, but it, uh, it was. That is a crime for which they should have lost their job. Yeah, and but <laughs> I'm sorry. He like, went on reviewing, and he's, I'm, I'm sure he's still reviewing movies. And if, if there was, I remember mentioning that to you right before we saw another movie that he spoiled in passing. He spoiled the climax of another movie while reviewing another film not too long ago. Um, and I thought, well, well, why did he do that? It's almost as if he just sort of felt that you're ridiculous for wanting to go in blind and see these films in suspense. You should, you should be prepared for everything that's going to happen. I, I don't want that necessarily. I remember how, for some audiences, they weren't allowed out of, or they were asked not to speak about the beginning of Psycho to anybody, the original audiences, for that film, which we're going to see because there's a huge twist that happens twenty minutes half an hour into the film 
that nobody saw coming at the time. Right. And we'll be discussing that, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it, it's such a pity. I didn't have the luxury of being surprised or startled along with everybody else, but I still really enjoyed the film. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that sucks. That is unfortunate. I also want to know if Vincent appeared to call at any point. I wonder if that was in an early draft of the script. Maybe. Because I feel like that would make sense to write in and then write right the fuck back right. out. Like, that, that, would disper- that would give it away. It would. It yeah. would give it away. But I, you could do it at the end. You could do it at the very last yeah. thing. It depends on how you want to end it. Um, but yeah, if you do it earlier than that, it gives it away, I think. Um, and he was so broken. Yeah. And tormented, yeah. Although I'm like, why didn't you just try and ask one? I don't. Anyway, I don't see dead people anymore, so uh, I don't. I don't know why people do what they do. All right, so that brings us to the end of the sixth sense. It also brings us to the end of November, which I should have. I am realizing now that I have made a grave mistake and have not. Wished everyone a happy Thanksgiving. It's happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yes. Sorry that we stole the country. I forgive you. We did a... Oh, thank you. (laughs) You go Tam Salvo. He's allowed to do that. He's brown. (laughs) Um... So it's Thanksgiving. Right. So next week is uh, the beginning of our December series, or the, our December programming. And I need to pull up. Oh, I know what our next film is. I'm very excited about you seeing it. I'm pulling up December. What will we be watching? Well, we're going to start with some damn dirty apes. Uh, Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston. Heston. This time without the brown face makeup. And Roddy McDowell? And Roddy McDowell. He is a monkey. Ape. Then we will watch Bridge on the River Kwai, a movie I have seen, but a movie that I like. That movies, these movies are long. The, the first two We've movies are very long. long. Movies. Um, then uh, All the President's Men, mm-hmm. which we've already done an episode on, so I will be re-releasing that. We will we will do some commentary um, on it in terms of how it fits into this list mm-hmm. the way that we did for Halloween previously. Uh, but that is our middle of the month uh, movie. Then 1931's Frankenstein. Mm. That's going to be our ha- our uh, Christmas movie. That one will come out on the 22nd. Oh, funny. And finally, one of my favorite movies... Wait Until Dark from 1967. With Audrey Hepburn and Alan Arkin and Ephraim Zimbalist. That like shit that. is thrilling, you know? <laughs> right. like, okay, so that is our December lineup. I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot of... Frankenstein's probably pretty short, right? I yes, presume that a movie made in 1931 is short. It's like Dracula and it's... Wait, it's not... Wait, it's, it's like an hour and ten minutes or something? I think is it th- one of those? Is the, it one of those? The thing is ones? that back then, especially horror movies were An shorter. Hour and eleven minutes. Were noise. shorter, 
Because also the audience could only take so much. They yes, this was legitimately terrifying because they'd literally never seen anything like it. Right. So yeah, you can't pummel them with two and a half hours of no. Already that much movie would mm-hmm. probably be overwhelming right. to them. We say this like they were fragile baby well, people, but they I, didn't have I the like vocabulary the or the experience. What's Gregory Peck talked about having seen James that movie Hoyle. as a kid and just like no that no 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 that's not good. That's that's too frightening. Um So this is our second yeah. Boris Karloff, right? What was our first one? Oh, no. Maybe this is our first one. I'm thinking of Bela Lugosi. Right. Bela Lugosi. So this is my first Boris Karloff movie, maybe. I may mm-hmm. maybe, maybe have never seen a Boris Karloff movie. He's an exceptional actor. I'm excited. So we'll be watching that for Christmas. Uh, until we discuss those films, and we will talk about Planet of the Apes next week, mm-hmm. do you have anything you want to recommend to our um, lovely listeners? I have... Almost finished with a television show on Amazon called Rings of Power. It's the Lord of the Rings prequel. And I have not watched a single second of it. Yes. And I'm sure I'll watch it again with you. It is really very good. Is it? It is also commented on being the most expensive television show ever produced, which I can see because it's right there on the screen. Everything. Um, but I, I understand there's some people who are not very happy with the, um, the poly racial casting of the film. Yeah. And some people who are not very happy with the fact that Galadriel, who was played by Kate Blanchett in the other films, uh, yeah. Peter Jackson movies, is here played as a female warrior. But it is really good drama. And yeah. there's a lot of really amazing moments, both visually and visually, it's stunning. Yeah. And on top I hope of that. So, given. Oh, yes, given the amount of money, the amount that's, of money spent that's involved, and, yeah. And also the, the, the characters, the way they interact with each other, and particularly there's a relationship between Elrond and Durin, who is the um, who is a the prince of dwarves, that is really touching. Their relationship is very touching, and there's foreshadowing of the relationship between the elves and the dwarves in the later Lord of the Rings stories. I've caught up with some of the criticism about this program, and it in my opinion, in my never humble opinion. It's bullshit. It's no, completely I'm... unfounded. Oh, cool. It's, it's just ridiculous. We're moving into a new age, ladies and gentlemen, and all others in between and outside of those boundaries. We're moving into a new age where we can't we can't just sort of create a story only for one group of people. It's for everyone. Yeah. And this story has been so thoroughly accepted by so many people that it deserves to be opened up. Tolkien himself, would he have liked this? Probably, yes. Because his whole notion, though, he admitted that he was creating a mythology for the English race because he said, why does the, why do the Germans have all the great mythology and the Norse people have all the great mythology? We need a mythology native to England. However, 
it's the story. He's a philologist, Tolkien, in real life, and so he was writing about different races of people, whether they were elves and dwarves mm. and Harfoots and whatever else, who spoke different languages, who had different religions and different Owl cultures. Owlbears. No, that's together. the Dungeons and Dragons. But, um, yes, he was possibly the most influential fantasy author ever. Mm-hmm. And he saw a polyethnic Middle-earth, and that is being realized here. That's nice. And yes, yes, a, because elves don't have to be lily white. No, as a matter of fact, the there's I kept joking with one of my coworkers today, and then there's that Puerto Rican elf who actually is very central to the story. It's like good and representation hot of the elves. Is hot, yeah. But um, but yes, it's a really it, it, there's a lot of really compelling drama to it. There's a lot of interesting. Um, a, little, a lot of interesting twists to the story. So I'm really appreciating it. I, I am very happy that it got produced. For the person who I started with this, watching the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit when I was a oh, kid. Oh, yeah. Um, and being sort of up and down about both the Ralph Bashki version and the Peter Jackson version, there were moments I didn't care, quite care for. But it was... a it's very interesting to see where it's gone and how big it's become. Um, and really respecting the legacy of this very retiring English author who I'm not sure that he ever saw this becoming the enormous success that it would. I don't think any author thinks that what they write is going to become right. the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know I what I mean? So. Like, yeah. it's. That's like saying, oh, I wrote the Bible, no big. Because <laughs> like, that is one of the things that is, mm-hmm. you know, Shakespeare stuff, Jane Austen stuff, the Bible, Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. These are the things that we just keep. And now we're going to make them over and over and over again. Right. Now that we have cracked the code on, well, they're so expensive. So think about fantasy. So expensive. So what would you recommend? I'm going to recommend uh, a show that falls into right into my niche, hmm. my reality competition based around a skill niche, uh, with a show that Netflix uh, started airing about a month ago uh, called Drinkmaster. Oh. And it is a bartending competition. Falls into my niche as well because I like to drink. Drinking, yes. However, <laughs> uh, these beverages are gorgeous. I'm learning thing uh, things about like uh, fat washing, um, and you know flavor combos that I would never think of. It's beautiful. Uh, it's well produced. There aren't any weird production things. Like I'm, I'm currently re- watching. Uh, on Amazon Prime, the third season of Making the Cut, which is the post-Project Runway show that Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn are doing. And Mm. every season, I hate the way that it's produced. It feels slapdash and cheap, Um, which is ironic because that show is making more money than any other reality show because they're actively selling the products that they're creating. Uh, and they're giving away a million dollars at the end, but it feels like they thought about how to actually produce it for four and a half minutes and are just winging and praying it, which bothers me. Like, 
especially if you want me to buy the products that are associated with it, put yeah. some effort into this. But Drink Masters, very well produced, clean. They got their timing right. They got, like, even Great British Bake Off. If everybody fails, y'all didn't give them enough time. That's what that means. I'm like, still <laughs> puzzled over the Mexican episode, but go figure. Yeah. <laughs> they need to stop doing ethnic episodes. Right. Not that I think that they need to stick to white culture because mm-hmm. there's no such thing, but like if when I say Mexico to you and you can only name three Mexican things and you do no further research, so those are the three things we're going to make, right. it's bad. It's te- it's terrible. Right. That episode was terrible. The joke at the beginning wasn't even what was bad to me. It was literally like they looked at Paul Hollywood and say, name three Mexican things. And he said, tacos. And then they were like, well, that's what we're going to make, I guess. And mm-hmm. I'm like, and there are. Who grew up on Mexican pastries over which there are literally Hundreds, hundreds of different kinds. Yeah. There's a Mexican cheesecake. They had the conchas, which is... They did the the pandulce, mm-hmm. which was good. But pandulce is like an umbrella. It means, for those of you who don't right. speak Spanish, sweet bread. So it sweet means they, And they could have done anything, but right. they, these people don't know what pandulce is right. because they don't have places that they can go to taste pandulce. Yeah, exactly. So their versions of pandulce are also fucked up. <laughs> right. And then they made tacos, which they kept calling the tortilla the taco. And I'm like, that's a tortilla, right. not a goddamn taco. And then Trace Leche's cake, because that's the only fucking dessert they could come up with. I'm like, Mexican wedding cookies has the word Mexican in it. Right. That it could have been the technical, what the fuck is happening? I wanted them to so make, bad. there's the, the, the gingerbread pigs, which I think are delicious. Oh, those, those, that's my favorite. And then there's the... Because they're not dry. Right, there's that not I don't like bundle say, so... That not quite oversweet cheesecake. I've never had that's it. That's very heavy. And we'll, we'll, we'll get some. Okay. <laughs> but it's just, I'll always try We lived cake. it close to a Mexican... We lived it for a while on um, off of Fruitvale. Yes. And Fruitvale had bakeries up and down it. Yes. And just so, walk down Fruitvale and be like... Yeah, right, exactly. It smells so and good. And there was a day, if you remember, when we, you, I, and a young woman I was dating at the time, uh, who shall remain nameless, of course, because heaven knows if she wants to be remembered this way, we were all walking through Fruitvale. Yeah. And we, we were walking along international. Yeah, was, like like foraging all day long, yeah. and that was just a great that looks day. good. That smells good. Let's eat this taco. Let's go to here and have a quesadilla. Let's right. yeah. It was a great day because there was so. You know much what I never food. got? But stuffed churro. I need to get me some and stuffed no churro. One did a churro. I don't remember them doing a churro on the bake off. They didn't do churros. Oh, that's crazy. Also, a thing they could have done. Yes. Yeah. No, it was a travesty. So good. don't you know. And they they had a Japan week a couple of seasons yeah. ago, and it was just Asia. It wasn't Japanese, really. No. Uh, so, yeah, disappointing. But Drink Masters on Netflix, not okay. disappointing. There we go. So that's good. So next week, we're going to talk about some damn dirty apes, which I would like to keep 
their hands off of me. It's it's have you have you seen the film? I believe I have. And talk about a twist ending. That film is another one where that the one has a twist ending is too. Yeah. So obvious now. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm curious mm-hmm. to see how obvious it is. Right, but it was another one where it's the the audience, the reviews from the original audiences, they were gutted when they saw that ending. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting film. And now it's like, oh, we destroyed our planet. I am shocked. Yeah. Shocked, I say. How how could we? <clears throat> uh, so, next week, Planet of the Apes. Uh, until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter. Yeah, still, I think. Uh, at latecomerspod. Uh, or you can find us on Facebook. That's the easiest way. Facebook uh, looking for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. I uh, wish you a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, may you have all of the food that you want and all of the family you can stand. <laughs> but only as much family as you can stand. Exactly. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Until then, I would like to remind you to take your medicine. And we would like to remind you, better, better late than, than never. never.